Hey there, this is Jenny Chen. I'm the founder of 3D Heels. Welcome to the Lattice Podcast, the official podcast for 3D Heels. This is where you will find fun but in depth conversations with technological game changers, creative minds, entrepreneurs, rule breakers, and more. Focusing on how we can use 3D technologies like 3D printing and bioprinting to reinvent healthcare and even life sciences. This podcast will also include AMA or Ask Me Anything sessions, past Instagram live interviews with influencers, and other direct engagements with our tribe. Hey, hi, everyone. Very good. Thank you, Susanna, for joining us today. And thanks for everybody who are tuning in for this episode of Instagram Live.、Um, who we have today is Susanna Pushpuki.、Uh, she is the co founder and chief operating officer for Rhino 3D Medical.、Um, I've been following you guys for quite a while. And、uh, so, Susanna, you actually just graduated pretty recently in 2016 after you completed your PhD、um, in a, in a Uh, Swiss Technology、uh, Institute of Technology. Yes.、Um, and actually, your study was focusing on biomedical imaging. And after that,、uh, Susanna went on to work in, at a hospital, I guess, focusing on biomedical imaging for another year, where you acquainted、um, how to、uh, optimize data acquisition uh, with uh, CT and MRI、uh, data. And then after that, in 2017, you founded、uh, Rhino 3D Medical,、uh, which is an incredible startup that I'm having. I think there's a lot of potential, and I want to give you、uh, some time to talk about that today.、Um, so, Susanna, how did you decide that? There's, there, there are quite a few questions I have for you.、Um, <laughs> is, why did you decide to start or co found Rhino 3D, and why using Rhino? As the base for your,、um, for your app. All right, so thanks a lot for the introduction.、Um, you said four years or five years ago I graduated as a PhD, and actually for me it already seems like a very, very long time ago. So Miracle has been co founded in,、yeah, in January 2018, but the story dates. Really, really back、uh, during my PhD studies, where I met the other co founders, Daniel and Pablo. And we were working on、um, different image representations and segmentation. And in particular, what was interesting is really to find a segmentation of, of special, specific anatomies and then Give the right to the user to edit this kind of segmentation in a very easy and handy way. And after my PhD, that's true, I spent a year at the local hospital here in, in Switzerland. And there I was working on a project、uh, of the European Union. And I was really gaining a lot of experience in, in MRI image acquisition and、uh, also a little bit in, in CT image processing. And during these times, you know, we had a lot of active discussions with my previous colleagues、um, from the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. And we really had the idea okay, let's try to bring it to the industry, what we were working on for so long, and try to see if it can bring benefit and added value to the people that we think it could be. And,、uh, Back then, it was still unclear for us what we exactly wanted to achieve.
Uh, we knew we loved 3D printing. We knew we loved the technology and interdisciplinary field of a little bit engineering, informatics, mathematics, and biology or, or the medical field, but it was still unclear what would be the exact goal. So at the beginning, we were still somehow finding our, uh, our road and uh, we built up a very strong strategic partnership with Rhinoceros. I think we originally chose Rhinoceros because it's one of the m most common new software for organic and freeform design. So if you think of solid modeling, this is something else. This is really the organic freeform smooth modeling and this is somehow the world where we are coming from. And um, we gain experience, let's say, in, in developing plugins and, and features with Rhino for Rhino. And we established this partnership first uh, with the European office of, um, of McNeil, which is in Barcelona. And they really supported us uh, from the beginning. And then finally, I think we, when we came with the medical idea, it really became like uh -oh. a long-term. Uh, partnership because somehow Rhino is lacking this medical image. Let's say they are pretty strong in architecture, in product design, in industrial design, but not for uh, for medical imaging. So I think what we are trying to do is to build like a complete uh, medical imaging platform with a little rhinoceros heart uh, within that. So I before before meeting you, I didn't even know the existence of Rhinosuri as a software because I'm not in I'm not an engineer. Um, I the, the number of cat design software I know is a handful. Um, but recently, I realized how much people love Rhinosuri actually. Um, so. Um, and you've encountered a variety of software in you know with cat feature. What do you think, one, Rhinosuri actually does better? You, you mentioned freeform, which I'm not really sure what that concept means. If you can explain it to us, that would be great. Um, and to compare to the other CAD design software, what is the advantage of using Rhino? I think other CAD design software is mostly used for like mechanical design, like designing machines where you have a solid volume, like you define a rectangle, for example, and then you do extrusions. Uh, solid modeling is like when you give a Play-Doh to a kid and then he really manages to create smooth shapes all around that has not really like a volumetric form but something like like very smooth and very curvy, like really a piece of art, let's say. Cool. And uh, I know that you brought a couple of uh, examples today uh, for us to demonstrate the power behind Rhino 3D medical software. Um, why don't you show us those? Yes, so I, I've prepared two examples. So maybe let's let's talk a little bit in general about the company, and then I I quickly yeah. show my models. Go right so ahead. what we try to do is to connect the medical imaging modalities like CT and MRI imaging to your 3D printer as easily as you would print out your document uh, your uh, from the computer with a regular printer. So this is the main idea, and we are focusing on three main areas, which is uh, CMF surgery, orthopedics, and trauma. And my first example will be from the, <laughs> from the CMF word. So 
Uh, one of the most common fra fractures that you could have is the fracture of the orbital floor. And if yeah, I, yeah, yes, maybe perfect. I can come a little bit closer and add a light. So here you can see the orbital floor, which is the healthy side. And this one is the side where you can see the fracture down there. Yeah. If it goes through, through the camera. So here the preparation for the surgery is pretty complex in the sense that you have to insert a plate uh, that will have to cover the whole fracture and you have to be very precise with that and it has to cover the entire hole otherwise the tissue behind it can can come over uh, so probably in terms of medical uh, medical terms you could explain the surgery surgical procedure better than me but I think having a print in your hand, which is very easy to prepare, like from the moment you obtain the DICOM images or NIFT images, uh, the CT scan of the patient, you can select the area that is interesting to you, and then you can directly send to your desktop printer, and you have it just before the surgery. You can already select which implant you want to use, how to prevent it, you can discuss with your colleagues the entire procedure, not just based on like a stack of 2D images that are in your computer, but having really like a tactile information in, in your hand um, can really help. Also, we can talk about patient communication yeah. and, uh, and uh, all that. So what we believe is that if you have these models, it can really help, you know, to to go to the operating room where all the questions are basically already answered and such that the, the time you spend in the operating room can be much shortened, which is, okay, in one hand it's good because it saves costs, but it's also less procedural risk for the patient. And this is, I think, what we are really trying to focus on. I think it's so, everybody's dream that if we just push a button, uh, then we can print out a model um, so on your website, it says, uh, Reno 3D Medical is the fastest software to make that happen. Um, why is it so fast? How do you, how do you guys make it so fast? So what I believe is that there are some other software that is really complex and very high level. The issue I, I see is that most of them are really targeting engineers and they are focusing on, on different kind of applications. So if I would like to use an analogy, I would say, for example, if you just want to crop an image, you wouldn't buy Photoshop, right? Yeah. So I think the key is really that we want to give a tailored solution to the surgeons or to the medical professionals such that they can use the desktop 3D printer with them and then directly just focus on the workflow and the operations that they need to have or that they will go through and they don't need to learn years of becoming half an engineer to be able to operate such a software. Um, yeah. And I think, I think in some sense our main competition is not like other companies. I think we are giving a complementary solution. What we are really facing as an enemy is like the not knowing of the technology, the, the lack of using 3D printing within hospitals. So I, I just read recently a statistics that around 99% of the hospitals are not at all exploiting the technology. 
And there are many barriers that I, I see. And um, one of them is that if you want to invest now as a hospital in, in 3D, 3D printing, typically the option you have is very costly. You need to buy some huge industrial 3D printer. You have to hire a group of engineers. And then if you have something to print out, then you send your request to this department and then they will process it depending on their priority list. Or you engage a third party company where also you know, patient rights come in, you know, it's confidential data that you are, you are handling. So you can engage like a third party company that will do it for you and then ship it for you. And then maybe the, the print arrives within a week. So this is now very encouraging, let's say, to, to jump into this uh, 3D printing. And what we feel is that it also aligned with the perception of people with 3D printing. So I already imagine it as like skyrocketing or something very, very geeky that, you know, <laughs> IT geeks are doing in their, I don't know, backyard uh, between uh, playing video games. So I think there's a very broad spectrum in between and it's exactly where we try um, to position ourselves to really make this technology accessible uh, for everyone who could benefit from it. For, from it. And I think the... Um, desktop 3d printing how the industry is evolving it's really in this direction you can buy very reasonable uh, 3d printers for a couple of thousand dollars and i think this is really has the quality uh, such that you can do your prints within your office and then you can use it to to have a better understanding of of the anatomy of of your patient so one of the other applications I know you guys do is cervical guides, which I find very useful because, you know, uh, if anything, one step beyond just having an anatomical model at hand is like something you can actually use in the operation. Does your software make it easy to produce these guys? Because that requires you to know some kind of engineering. You have to have some kind of engineering background. For people like me, I'm a radiologist. I wonder, you know... <laughs> Can I use your software to design guides for my surgeons? So exactly, that's the second step that I, I just wanted to, to show you. So the first model, it was printed with an SLA printer. This one, I printed just with a filament-based printer, but you can already see the vertebras. It's, they are cervical vertebras. Yeah. And here, the procedure is pretty complex if you want to insert pedicle screws. So probably all the medical doctors, they know that we are talking about like four or five millimeter in terms of height. And then you really have to be precise if you put the pedicle screw from the right angle, because otherwise the nerve root that is around will be damaged and it can cause a serious life, lifelong uh, problem for the patient. So typically there are two ways to insert pedicle screws. There are minimum invasive surgeries and there's really the open surgery with either the freehand technique or with surgical guides. As, as we see, even though these minimal invasive surgeries, they are taking place, if the procedure is complex or risky, it's still the open, open technique that is used. And I think it's very useful to be able to create a guide. 
very quickly for the patient such that it really adapts to the anatomy of the vertebra, such that it's, we are really 100% sure that the way you are drilling the hole and, and placing the screw adapts perfectly to the, to the anatomy of your patient. So with our software, we really tried to make like an easy workflow uh, for the doctors. And this module we have developed together with uh, our collaborators in Brazil and, uh, and in London in, in um, the United Kingdom. Uh, so here the idea was to define different guide models um, to, the cervical, to the cervical spine. And then if you read our blog post <laughs> on our website, this is the place of publicity, then you can find actual use cases where surgeons were using our, um, our uh, guide techniques um, for, uh, for the thoracolumbar spine. Mm -hmm. So here you can really see for each vertebra, you can really find a guide. Yeah. And then you can also adapt. Closer uh, to the, the camera. Base. Sorry. Can you hold it closer to the camera? Ah, sorry. So you can also like design the, these base uh -oh. parts such that it really fits. It yeah. really fits to that part. And this, this you can also close such that, you know, when you place it there, then it will really just, just hold itself. So it's more to show the, the different options. And we, re we are really talking, you know, about screws that are like a couple of millimeters thick. So you really have to be precise and you have to do it fast. So that's so what we are, we are working on right now. But I don't great. say we have a magical solution yet, but let's say we are on the way. Well, first of all, I'm going to post your block lens, uh, your block link on the, on after this video. Uh, two is there is a question from Ryan Odom. Um, it's relevant. Mm -hmm. It says, how does the quality of medical imaging uh, and then the variances in the type of medical imaging, I guess, CT versus MRI versus ultrasound, affect the amount of geometry? Um, so with ultrasound, we have, I think we have less collaboration. So if you have some images to send us, then I would be happy to assess it together with you. Uh, typically with CT and, uh, and MRI imaging, we were having uh, pretty good results. Do you have so some we, kind of quality control or validation process for that? Yes. So anyway, there's the medical doctor that is there controlling the whole operation. So we are not like a decision support system. So it's, you know, if I give you the tools, you, you still have to see, you know, if it makes sense or not. Mm -hmm. Now we have clinical trials. Uh, Great. I could say basically in all over, all, all the continents uh, around, we have, we have quite a um, good collaboration in, uh, in Brazil, Colombia, in the US, in, in India, etc., in South Africa. And with those collaborations, now we are doing clinical trials. And what we are trying to prove and go through is that really how, how well these, these guides uh, fit and, and are useful during the surgery. And right now we are having very positive, uh, positive feedback. Yes, there you is can another, also, you know, sorry, you can also, <laughs> go ahead, sorry, <laughs> go ahead, yeah, so if you, you compare it with software that is already, for example, FDA certified, 
Yes. For most of the cases that concerns bone, like bone on CT or bone on MRI, you, you don't really see difference. So I have another question uh, is relevant. I think it will lead up to the next topic that we want to talk about. Um, so Makis uh, Iakavos, sorry if I pronounce your name wrong, but he asked, I use open source software like Slicer 3D uh, and Mesh Mixer, mm -hmm. which I also do personally. Um, how do you compare your software to the existing uh, open source ones like Blender? I think a lot of people use Blender mm -hmm. as well. How do you compare? I mean, I think usability, I think, is a huge thing that you mentioned. I think it's, it's mainly usability that you want to get your results quickly. And I think you need to be a little bit geek to, <laughs> to master Blender and those tools. Oh, I think you have to. So be what we want is really something that is workflow-based and that is, you know, easy to use and that is dedicated for this given task. So you mentioned that most of the applications of the two cases you demonstrated are in orthopedics um, and CMF. Um, why focusing on these two applications? I think um, first we started uh, with the CMF surgery because it looked to, to us like a, like a good case to, to try out or prove our value. That is pretty common. And then we tested with this community. We worked together um, with, uh, with a hospital in New York and in Switzerland. So we arrived with this module. And I think in the meantime, we got a lot of re requests from surgeons that they would like to go one step further, not just you know, to print out a specific part of the anatomy, but also to design guides. And I think one of the important um, surgeries where guides are really critical is the one that um, concerns the spine. And then our collaborators were really like, pushing us to, to develop those modules, to tell them what kind of workflow they could use to, to build their guides. And then after a couple of like successful surgery that we, we went together, um, that's, that's what we put our focus on. So probably next steps will be some cutting guides and uh, and uh, imp some implants, for example, skull implant. Um, yeah, let's see. <laughs> so we would like to cover many procedures, as many as possible. Of course, we have to prioritize, but um, yeah, other, other modules are, are coming soon. Yeah, so one of the common software um, that I encounter and my colleagues encounter is Mimics from mm -hmm. uh, Materialize, and they focus on a variety of organ systems, but also, you know, organ system-based, not like, it can't do everything, but they focus on heart, for example, soft tissue. Um, is that something that you guys are also going forward with uh, in terms of vascular soft tissue modeling? So currently we are really focusing on heart tissue like uh, like bone bone on CT and MRI and um, for the uh, for the trauma cranial and orthopedic domains. Um, we had some users or we have some users that are um, using our software for for the lung or for example for the heart, but I think it's not the majority of our users. Have another question here. I think it's similar. Uh, it says a Rhino Medical makes automated rendering to ease the process, but does that affect accuracy? Rendering or sorry, 
basically, I, I think segmentation is what he meant. Um, how do you make sure that you're accurate? Let's say if I'm using your software, yes, and I got a model. How do I know that my model is accurate? Well, I think there's one part that comes from the algorithms that are behind, and second, then. The models that you are printing out is really like a one-to-one -one size. So you can compare it, you know, with your CT images. You can measure it. You can see also during the surgery if it's if it fits or not. But it should fit. Um, I also have. How do you person. measure if mimics is is correct? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think this is definitely an ongoing conversation as to how how to validate your accuracy from segmentation to the print. Um, maybe there's some kind of, uh, you know, those uh, gu uh, not guides. I'm tr I'm blanking out the name of it, but calibration tools uh, where you so use this to we make were sure trying your machine to do or, or we are really doing to to try to compare, for example, our software, for example, with Mimics in terms of precision because Mimics is already like FDA approved. So we trust that the quality that it's producing is correct. Mm -hmm. And then what we are seeing in our studies is that we match up with this quality. Yeah, Actually, it, with the orbital floor, I think we are even better because in terms okay. of segmentation, for example, this is a hard problem because the orbital floor is very thin. thin yes. And to be able to capture it while you, you have to do some extra maths that comes from, <laughs> from the PhD studies we had. Yeah, I think these little finer details will be important once uh, more and more people are using it. I think that orbital floor uh, discussion is, is pretty relevant, uh, especially when it comes into in, uh, contact with all kinds of bones. Um, so th there's another question that's also relevant to our ongoing discussion about accuracy is, do you guys, are you going through some kind of uh, uh, accreditation or some kind of uh, governmental or like FDA clearance or CE mark clearance, that kind of thing. Yes. So our plan is now to conclude on the clinical trials and then uh, determine to which uh, clearance we should go first, because we have one in Europe. We have you have one in the US and there are some other countries that could serve as a potential market for us, like Brazil with the Anvisa. So we have to see where we go first and then we will try to, to grow, grow from that. But it's certainly something that we are jumping in very, very soon. That sounds great. So I had a conversation last week that was very interesting, speaking of design for 3D printing. Um, just because you want to make something doesn't mean it's going to print out the way you want it. Mm -hmm. And the mechanical properties are also going to change, depends on how you design it. What kind of features does your software offer so that whatever printer we use, either as uh, SLA or FDM, or maybe even higher end uh, printers, what do you offer for different people with different printers and materials? So what we can guarantee is the closeness of the surface. So this is something that you, you will be sure that if you send your guide or your anatomy to the printer, it will be printable. Um, this is a relevant question. And I think uh, if you buy a like a relatively good printer around like five thousand dollars, there will be no risk. So I can suggest you some good SLA based printer. I don't want to advertise other companies 
Also with filament-based printers, if it's possible to print multiple filaments, then with the support handling, it's much easier because then you can remove the support uh, very easily without, you know, actually uh, causing damage to your model. And this question somehow is, is very interesting to me. So recently I purchased the, the $300 printer <laughs> just to see that, you know, really the limitations. And I was very much positively surprised, let's say, in terms of usability and in terms of the printability of the structures and what we are trying to give as an advice for the workflow is really something that to help people design guides that will be printable even if you know their means of investment let's say is very limited well last so we will not uh... design you know for example <laughs> if you designed uh, this specific thing with the uh, with the guide you know if you design like shapes that are really roundish and very you know, design it, then probably with a cheap SLA printer, you will have more difficulties to print out. But if you, you know, design like a rectangular shape here, which is flat, and then you cut a little bit here, like you, you make it flat, the tubes, for example, then even with the cheap printer, you can just perfectly print it out because it will be, you know, on your, on your bed sheet and then, uh, you know, build plate and then it can grow the model. And the dimensions are such that even without the support, you can, uh, you can print the, the tubes relatively well. Well, last week, our conversation mentioned a $100 uh, 3D printer. Apparently, uh, he was uh, doing well with the $100 printer. So I think the price is going to go down. I spent too much money on that. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm going to shift the angle of the conversation a little bit before more questions coming in, uh, if we have any more. It's about your entrepreneurship. Um, I'm kind of, I'm not very familiar with the European startup scene, but I know that you've been around for a couple of years now as a founder. What are some of the major challenges that you think that are unique to European startup compared to, you know, someone in the Silicon Valley? I think it's, maybe a little bit the mentality about taking a risk. And especially when you're in Switzerland, you, you start to learn that what is sure is something that you must trust and that's good. And what is risk is like, let's think about it twice. I think probably in the US people are jumping on new ideas much quicker and they, they really like to go for this kind of adventure. But I think what's the same is that you really have to be committed and you have to be a little bit maniac about your product that it will change the world or at least it will make it a better place. So how did you, you really um, have how did you to... meet her? Hmm? Sorry, go on. <laughs> so you really have to find, I think, this inner purpose that every day when you wake up, you feel that your product is great and then you have to go independently of if there are difficulties, if other people disagree. And I think it's the same in the US or in, the, in Europe or wherever you are. You need to be dedicated and motivated. Well, but it sounds like if you're in Europe, you have to have twice the amount of passion to get things going because there's just not a whole <laughs> lot of cheerleaders around. Would that, would that be accurate? Well, it starts, you know, I think over these couple of years that I'm around, I see that there's a positive change in terms of the startup cultures, also investors, 
are really getting the appetite, let's say, to to put money in startups and to to try to shape the future. And I think now if you think of all these demographic trends um, about the aging of the population or, or the climate change, etc., you see that you have to invest now such that you will have the solutions when it's really trying to collapse the world on you. So I think yeah. it's it's getting better. It's not there yet. Like, you know, huge investments going on companies that are either collapsing or skyrocketing the next day. But I think it's it's a pretty pretty lively ecosystem. So we also got a lot of support, a lot of funds. There are institutions within Switzerland that are doing cheerleading. So so we felt a little bit like celebrities in this in this small ecosystem. But yeah, it's uh, I think it's a little different also in terms of workforce, I think. In the US, uh, if you work for a startup, you know what you are engaging with. In Europe, it's I think it's still coming. But there's a lot of young people that I think are motivated to do something meaningful, something useful, and not just, you know, work on a feature number uh, 20,000 of a product, but really where they have an impact. And I think it's it's pretty good. And I really like, I when I did my PhD, I was teaching students and I really, really love this mentality that now they are having. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And also you're a female co-founder, so I just want to give you a kudos yeah. on that. <laughs> um, and I'm looking forward when you guys are starting to raise your um, your your next round uh, of funding um, and happy to reconnect and have another conversation. Um, and uh, also I, I realize that you have a beta download for, uh, is, is that a free version? Or I can just try it out or on your website? Yes, so we, are, we, have a, we have a beta version online that you can, you can download and then, yeah, we can have conversations. We are very open to collaborations. So if you have your medical data and you don't really know how to process it or you want to get involved um, with our clinical trials, then you can send an email to our support address and then my colleagues will, will jump on you. <laughs> Awesome, Susanna. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And thanks for everybody joining us and asking these great questions. Um, the recording is always available on IGTV, but we will post-process into podcasts and etc. Uh, for distribution purposes. So thanks again. And well, thank you for having you. me. <laughs> and I will okay, keep you updated. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 3D Heels, and check out the links in the show notes. See you next time. <laughs>